Okay, Joel, you and me, girl. I'm in good hands. Uh, we've been talking in this series about anxiety and being anxious for nothing. Paul gave this challenge to the church of Philippi. He said, I don't want you to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication go to the Lord. So what we've just been doing is a little bit of anxiety control. It's been dealing with our fears. And as we go to God in prayer, we get to do this thing where we lay some of these things that are heavy and lay them down at the feet of Jesus and ask him to help us in these things and to change the reality of who we are and where we are. I don't want to stop there because I think there's one piece of this, one last final piece I need to bring that is really, really important, and that is talking about stress and how this happens in our lives. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack how we define stress and what that looks like, and then we're going to look at a piece of Scripture and um, how God gives us some tools to manage that and deal with that in our lives. I do want to say this. I've said this every week. I'm going to say it this week again. If you find while I'm preaching about these things, that you know, he's just hitting what I'm dealing with, and I need more help. I need to know more. I need people who know how to deal with these things. Sid Mead is here. If you don't know him, I would be happy to introduce you after church. Um, he is a licensed therapist out of our church here. There are a couple of other, there's about four of them actually, that we know around the community. If you want to connect with someone else, perhaps that is a different specialty. You do not have to do this without some really well-trained professional care. So, thanks brother. So, reach out to us, help us understand where you are, and we'll try to connect you the best we can. And in doing that, next Sunday, you're going to want to come back because you guys have been listening. I know some of you have been listening online through the podcast downloads and have been commenting back to me. Um, Next Sunday, Sid's going to actually share from up here, and he's going to unpack the mental health perspective of this. I've been talking about the spiritual and the philosophical and understanding these things and trying to give them the right kind of proportions in our lives. He's going to give you some actual tools, some things that you can do that help to lower our stress level, lower our anxiety level, and deal with our fears. So if you just go, you know, I would love to have something that just gets me through this red light where the guy behind me keeps honking at me. I think Sid can help with that. So come on back. So as we talk about stress, you know, I, I, I would like to start by sort of toying around and saying, is it, you know, who here lives a stress-free life? Because I'm guessing that nobody's going to raise their hand. If you do, we will probably laugh at you. <laughs> there is no such thing as a stress-free life. And it seems like just living life and what life brings our way leads us to the place where life becomes undone by life itself. And we reach a place where we are overwhelmed. I'll come back to that word later. We reach a place where we are taxed physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and we go, I think I'm finished. I think I'm done. And so you ask yourself the question, really, who doesn't stress? Who doesn't have stress in their life? You can't drive across the city of Wichita and not experience stress. You can't go to Walmart and not experience stress. 
I'm guessing you cannot have a family meal without some level of stress. It just happens. It's part of life. And so I want to unpack that a little bit and show you where this comes from. Well, actually, applying the word stress to emotional health and physical health is is something rather recent. And the word, to to understand the word, we have to go back before it was used that way. And I I did a little bit of research. There's this French guy. I'm going to say his name wrong. I think it's Salet or Sally. He, in the 1930s, started to use the term stress to refer to what he was seeing in research in animals. I'll come back to that. But he was looking for a word to try and describe this because he saw something that he didn't think anybody had seen ever before. And he's probably true. But he used a word that's been around for a long time. It's been used in different contexts. And so for those of you that say, man, I am not about the mental health care industry and I don't understand the philosophy of psychology and things like that, that's okay. Maybe you're one of the people who's been around engineering and physics. Because that's where the term comes from. And it goes way back beyond that, from the 1930s. It actually goes back to about the 1600s. And so it was a term that was applied to things when they are put under pressure, particularly and specifically to things that have an elasticity. And I'll give you the formal definition for that in a moment. But but this French guy, he saw that the word had been used for physics, and then he observed this thing. He, he took lab animals, rats and mice and things like that, and he started to do things to them. You guys know where this is going. He started to put them under stress, so he made them feel a little bit of pain. He made them listen to loud noises. He made them hurry through little mazes. And he found that these animals, over time, that they experienced a decline in their health. It took a physical toll, so they had more heart problems and things like that. And so we know this guy, this Salet guy, made the first correlation and said, you know, when I stress these animals, they become unhealthy. In our context, we kind of take that for granted, that as we experience stress, blood pressure goes up, heart disease becomes more common, and we don't do very well. And, and Sid, next week, will talk to you about things like cortisol and chemicals like that. But there's this correlation. But the thing is, there's, there's pressure brought on us all the time. It comes every day in different forms. And so we just live in a world, kind of a perpetual world of experiencing stress. The problem is when we go from just experiencing stress to experiencing distress. It's not just that we're being taxed. It's not just that outside forces are pushing on us. But now those outside forces feel like they're breaking us. Or they are taking a physical toll on us, and we don't quite know what to do with that. So here's, the, here's a definition from the world of physics. And this comes from a guy by the name of Ron Stoner. Ron Stoner taught at Bowling Green University, and he taught physics and engineering. And he has no idea if Ron Stoner's out there on the internet and he listens to this, he's going to go, what in the world is a preacher doing using my definition of stress? Stress is when... External forces are applied to objects made of elastic materials. They produce changes in shape and size of the object. 
That's just referring to physical stuff. That's whether it's a steel beam that gets stressed or a piece of concrete or a branch on a tree that gets pulled down and experiences stress. That's the way it works in the physical universe. That's just kind of part of the laws of nature that we've observed. So I took what Stoner said and I went a little bit farther. So um, I used what he said, and I'm going to apply it for us today. So to move from stress to distress looks something like this. When external forces are applied to humans to the point of compromising our ability to function, our health, our emotional well-being, and our closeness to God. It's interesting to me how little bitty things can affect us in big, huge ways. You guys probably remember the old story of the princess and the pea. If you've never heard this story, it's okay. I'll tell you a really quick Reader's Digest condensed version. The princess and the pea. There was a story that that they would know who the princess was because they would be able to stack a whole bunch of mattresses and put a pea, one little pea underneath the the one on the bottom, and a princess would wake up the next morning and go, oh, I, I, I felt this. I couldn't sleep well because underneath all these mattresses there was this little thing. And it was sort of giving a disparaging sense to nobility and femininity that they are distressed by even the littlest minute things that ordinary people, plain, poor folk like us, would just breeze on by because we're used to that kind of discomfort. But the truth is something small can disrupt and can disrupt us in huge ways. Our entire day can be ruined by 10 seconds of somebody else's bad behavior. Have you ever noticed that? That's all it takes. And the rest of the day, I'm grumpy. And when I'm grumpy for the rest of the day, so are about 25 to 50 other people. (laughs) So outside influences, they push on us. And as they push on us, we change and we adapt. And oftentimes, we change and adapt in unhealthy ways. That's just a part of being under stress. So here is a passage from the book of James, and James is writing, and he is telling the people, listen, I want you to understand that life is going to stress you. He doesn't use that term, but this is kind of the way he unpacks it. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, my brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter. So let's just change that language for a minute. Brothers and sisters, think of your stress as occasions for joy. Okay, right there we're going to go. James is clueless. Can't listen to him. But let's give him a moment here. He goes on. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. One version says, so that you might be made perfect. And so I'm going to suggest to you that having outside influences push on us at times to extraordinary levels become dangerous, but most of the time they become things that can influence us and cause us to evaluate and make choices that make us stronger and smarter and wiser and better followers of Jesus, depending on how we respond and how we use those stressors in our lives. 
The thing is that for many of us, we go through the week and we take stress on and more stress on and more stress on to the point where we reach and we think, I've just had more than I can accept. I've been there, folks, where you just feel like for some reason the last straw was the one. And now I've come undone. Some of you have been there. And it was something insignificant. It was something that really didn't matter. But it was the thing that just pushed it past the tipping point, And I explode or I come undone or I get sick or I fall apart or whatever it seems like describes the situation. Just one more element of outside stress was all it took to push me over that edge, whatever the edge looked like. And now I am overwhelmed. And I'm no longer coping. We've all heard of the proverbial, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Some of us have experienced that in terms of stress. It's that one more outside influence that brings us past the tipping point. And then we, we define it in different, days, in different ways on different days. But we say, well, you know, I just had a breakdown. I just needed to have a good cry. I just needed to close the door and keep everything out for a while because I reached that point where I was overwhelmed. And in that point, we might be tempted to think I'm losing it. I've been able to manage and function and I could handle all this stuff. I could handle my finances. I could handle my relationship with my spouse, the stuff with my employer, with my teacher, with my pastor. But now I can't. And when you reach the point where you can't, you feel like I've lost it. And it's a pivotal moment where stress changes from just being an influence we have to deal with to an influence that overwhelms us. Years ago, I was, uh, I was influenced by another pastor, a mentor for a short time, a guy that tried to coach me and teach me a little bit. He'd come around me because I had pastored some of his family when I was first starting to do this. He had been a pastor for a while. He was also an evangelist. We don't have those much anymore, but we used to have these guys that would travel around and preach, and and they were usually known for being really good preachers and being really fiery preachers, and and he was a fiery preacher, and he would get up here to preach, and he would get worked up, and he had a light complexion, which didn't help, but as he got to preaching and he would move around and he would raise his voice, his face would just become beet red. And, and I mean, he would get loud. He would yell. And then he would get to the end of his sermon and he would wind down. And that's just, that was his style. And he kind of was an influence in, in my life for a while. And then, and then something happened. There was just one day and he was actually literally in the pulpit of his church preaching. And he was preaching along like this in this form. And he stopped as if to take a breath and he just fell over. I mean, he literally hit the ground and people looked at him and jumped up and quickly called 911 and it turns out he had a massive heart attack. And from that moment on, his life changed and he began to withdraw from things because he realized that his heart was frail. And he told me this. He said, you know what I found out? He said, I've talked to these doctors and they've done these heart catheters and they've looked at all this stuff. 
And I've talked to my doctor, and my doctor says, I get way too worked up. And, and, and so now, after he's been coming alongside me and encouraging me and trying to tell me how to preach and coach me and things like that, he had this huge epiphany, and he made this turn in his life where he was trying to reorder things in his 60s. And he came to me and he said, Hank, let me, let me tell you one thing. Take care of yourself. Don't do what I did. I got so worked up and I've got so passionate about stuff. And he said, I didn't learn how to dissipate it. I did not exercise. I didn't eat right. There were all these other conditions. And I'll tell you that Bob's condition took his life. The day came when I heard, I got an email and said, you know, Bob's gone home. Jesus took him home. Eventually that heart condition was such that his heart could no longer go on. And I just kind of wonder, what if Bob had managed things a little differently? Would he have lived longer? Would he have been, I don't know, happier? More effective in ministry? I don't know. But he was overwhelmed to the point where in the moment of preaching, his heart stopped suddenly and catastrophically. Well, I want you to understand there's this thing, there's this curve that I'm going to introduce you to in a moment. And this curve is something that doctors and clinicians and psychologists use in terms of stress. But I I want to set it up this way. I want you to look at this as someone who believes in and follows and loves Jesus Christ. Because I think there's spirituality to this curve. So I just I wanted to set it up this way. But here's what it looks like. I hope you can see that. This is called the human function curve. Have any of you seen this before? Okay. Some of you have been around this stuff. This is real. But the human function curve says this. We live under this kind of tension. And actually stress can produce some good results for us. When we are under this tension, we can actually improve our performance to a degree. So if you start at the left, performance goes up. That's that axis going up and down. And the axis going to the right is the arousal of stress. This is, you know, as things get more and more intense for us. So at first there's healthy healthy tension and it escalates and and it helps us. It increases heart rate and things like that and, and increases the way we can focus and apply our minds to certain things. And then there's that dark band and that dark band is the comfort zone. That's where we just, we feel like things are working well. There's enough demand on me that I can keep moving and I feel like life is meaningful and good, but we go beyond that band and we just feel like, ooh, yeah, I don't know how I can handle this. And then there's that point kind of in the middle, that apex, and, and it's called the hump. So before that, it's good stress. After that, it's not. It's distress. But at that point, the hump right there in the middle, there's a word underneath that, fatigue, We reach a point where the demands on us exceed our energy in terms of physical well-being. But now I'm going to impose that sort of those spiritual eyeglasses, those lenses to look at this. So there's things that happen around us that push us and they help us to perform better. These are the kinds of things that James was talking about. He said, you know, when adversity or stress comes your way, you should be thankful. You should think of this as a moment of joy because you get to do better. You get to move faster. Your mind is sharper. You get to express your spirituality in better ways because your spirituality is getting put to the test. 
what you believe about Jesus and what you believe about how what, you, what he has done to you is sort of coming together and you are on fire in good ways until you reach that point of fatigue and then all of a sudden you are on fire and it is burning you up. And then it declines because after that you see exhaustion, ill health, and then you get to the end and things just collapse and there's breakdown. The trouble is most of us live beyond the hump. Sorry, it's this way. Most of us live beyond the hump where we are, we are tired and we are stressed beyond that nice little dark band of that good performance place. And instead, we're living at a place where we are going way faster than we should. When I was in high school, believe it or not, I liked to skateboard. You could not get me on one of those things now because at... 14 to 16 years old, we rode those things, and 14 and 16-year-olds get broken bones, and we just kind of bounce back from it. 50-year-olds do not. Um, But we rode skateboards, and there was a place just outside of town where we lived where they were starting to develop a new subdivision, and so they had made all these wonderful roads, brand new pavement, the asphalt was nice and smooth, and there were no houses yet. And so on Sunday afternoons, we would get together, a couple of us, and we'd throw our skateboards in the back of, of uh, one of our friends had a, had a Volkswagen Golf or a Rabbit. And we'd throw four or five skateboards in the back, and we'd pile about five or six of us into this little car. And we would go out there, and we'd park at the top of the hill of this new subdivision. And we'd get our skateboards out, and we would go down the hill. And you, you had to kind of time it right, but we would, we would pick up quite a bit of speed. And then we would take one of the little turnoffs into these cul-de-sacs where there was just a, a circle, and you'd turn kind of back uphill, and it would bleed off the speed that you'd built up, and you'd turn around and... And for those moments going downhill, man, it was exhilarating and it was fun. And the wind was in your hair and we got the little rabbit behind us one time and we clocked about 30 miles an hour. If you think that's not significant, try going downhill 30 miles an hour on a skateboard. It will get your attention. So one day, oh, and I need to say this too, my sister went with us. She's brave and she... Uh, is a bit of a thrill seeker too. So she went with us and, and she had gone down a little ways and turned out at one of the first streets, little cul-de-sacs. And, and then we started going farther and farther down the hill. And the farther you went, the more speed you picked up. And she decided it was time to keep up with the boys. And so she started going down the hill and she went straight down the hill and there was no zigzagging back and forth. It was just point your toes down and go. And we watched her go and about halfway we were like, wow, she is flying. And we watched this, and then all of a sudden that skateboard started to move back and forth like this, and we realized that she wasn't flying yet, but she was soon going to be. And sure enough, she got down, and she went all the way to the bottom. She was screaming, and I mean, both in terms of speed and voice. And we, she got down to the bottom of the hill and finally lost her balance, and she came undone and just rolled and tumbled and and this is a Sunday afternoon, and she's going around. She didn't break any bones, but she did hit her face, and so she took a lot of skin off the side of her face and down her eye. And we, we went down there to her, and we go, what happened? What happened? She goes, I didn't realize how fast I'd go, and, and, and I just realized at that moment I was out of control. I was no longer the one initiating this. These weren't the words she used, but 
I was sitting here going, how in the world am I going to survive this? So we picked her up, we grabbed our stuff, we got out of there. We went home. Back then we had a Sunday night service and my sister played piano. And so she went and sat up at the front and the, the side of her face that was facing the congregation was the side that was gone. And so everybody is singing these hymns and looking at her going, what happened to her? And you know what? That's not dissimilar to you and me. You see, when we live beyond what we have built our ability to do and endure, and then we come together here, sooner or later, somebody's going to look at you and go, what in the world's going on? What happened? Because you look like something's gone wrong. And of course, after church, everybody wanted to know what happened to her. And my sister did not want to tell anybody. So she finished playing the final hymn. And, you know, maybe there was a little bit of an altar call. And she snuck out the, the door at the back of the church and walked home. <laughs> tell me some of you haven't done the same thing. We've lived our lives careening down the hill and then we fall and we come together and we just go, I hope nobody asks me what is obvious. So there's spirituality to that curve. And here's the thing that I I have to introduce this as well is in the midst of this stress, we tend to listen to and entertain what I'm going to call for the purpose of this message today, I'm going to call them toxic lies. We listen to and we accept things into our, we accept some of this outside pressure that is not legitimate and doesn't belong there and is not true. You see, when we believe, this is what I wrote, when we believe or even simply dwell on ideas that are untrue and which cause us to change our ways that God does not desire, we are accepting toxic lies into our lives. There are people around us that will add points of pressure and points of stress even though they are not entitled to. So I want to tell you that there are people around you that are more than happy to flirt with your spouse. There are people around you who are more than happy to take some of your money that you can't afford to give them. There are people around you who are more than happy to cut you off in traffic because where they're going, they think is far more important than where you're going. And we could go on and on and on, but these these are toxic lies where the pressures of someone else come into our lives, not because they belong there or because they're helpful, but simply because other people are willing to perpetrate the lie. Now, I can't even begin to imagine how all that plays out in every one of your lives, but I'm sure it does. Because it's done that in mine. Where somebody's come along and whispered something in my ear, you should do this, you should look like that, you should be able to do what they're doing. And Ashley, thank you, in Ashley's prayer, she referred to how we compare ourselves to one another, and I go, you should look like me. Heaven forbid. Do not get caught in those toxic lies. And it, sometimes it takes a lot for us to decode those lies. It is not easy because they are smart and they are good. It, 
at appealing to things in us where stress has already been there and it's already compromised a little bit. And these things come in and they make us feel really lousy. Not too long ago, Julie preached for us and she preached about shame. This is where people introduce a toxic lie into a place where we already feel weak. And when they do that, we run out of our sanity really, really quickly. So, I want to close with this. We need to manage our stress by managing resources that God has given us. And I want to talk about three resources that we tend to undervalue, particularly to a certain degree in our culture. I want to remind you again that one of the resources, one of the gifts that God has given us is rest. There are others around us that one of the toxic lies that they will try and introduce that we will entertain is that we need to outperform others around us. And in order to do that, we will rob our rest. Now, for some of us, that's actually getting a good night's sleep. And I'm here to confess this morning that over the last two nights, I've slept about five hours each night. That's not going to happen tonight. And you, you're welcome. You can text me tomorrow or text Kayleen and go, so did he sleep more than five hours? I can pretty much guarantee you I will. But I'm really going to endeavor to because I have come to understand, as some of you have come to understand, when we lack sleep and rest, we can't handle as much. Our bodies need rest. Our minds need rest. And yes, friends, our hearts need rest. We're not machines. We are children of God. And for some of us, maybe we get a good eight hours of sleep a night, but we don't rest emotionally. We don't participate in recreation that feeds our soul. We don't know how to bring things in that help us recuperate. We think those kinds of things are for weak people but I would suggest to you the strongest of athletes know how to rest. Okay? Take that to heart. Here's the next resource that is undervalued, although depending on where you live and the culture around you, and that is the resource of exercise. There's a spirituality to exercise, my friends. And I know some of you go, man, I have physical limitations and you don't understand. I just cannot move like that anymore. My body is hurt. I've endured illness. I understand that, but what you can move, my friends, make it move. Please, make it move. Some of you know a little bit about the story of where I'm at with my family. My mom has dementia, advanced dementia. And we just recently moved her into a nursing facility that has a, a memory care wing and, and a facility that's really geared for that. We're thankful for that. God was good to us. And they have a thing that goes on every morning. They have exercises. And so my dad goes down and he takes my mom in the wheelchair and they wheel out into this common area and they have all these chairs in there. I've walked in when they were doing this, not because I intended to, but because my timing was really bad. But I walked in, and they're in there doing these exercises. And these people in their 80s and 90s are in there just going, you know, just little, just making those arms and legs move. They just stay in the chair, and they move. And I uh, watched this for about five minutes, and then Mom and Dad were done. And Dad started wheeling her out, and I said, So, Mom, did you break a sweat? And Mom goes, Ah, that was easy. I go, well then, Dad, turn her around. Take her back in there. 
you know, we have this kind of fun relationship. But just to see my mom moving, because then to get her up out of that wheelchair and watch her try, her brain try to make her feet go, and to realize that I would give my right arm for my mom to be able to run with me again. And it's gone. So my friends, while you got it, use it. It is a gift from God. Find a way for, to make this happen if you can. Maybe you and your spouse or your family or your friends, as you're talking about this, you go, you know, I've got to figure out how to do exercise. There's ways to do that. I'm trying to figure that out too. But that's a resource. That's a gift from God. And then this final one, manage the resource of our wisdom. Because it's, it's not just enough to eat right and get a lot of sleep and to work out our bodies, although that will help us tremendously. That's not enough. There are really unwise people that are in really great shape. Let me just say that. But I want to suggest to you that managing our stress is, is, is not just one or the other. It is a, about us being a whole and complete person before God. And so you need to exercise wisdom. You need to find wisdom. And I love this because James says this. If you read through this first chapter and not even the whole chapter, he goes through, you know, there's these things going on and there's this tension in your lives. You should count it as joy. And then right on the heels of that, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask the Lord who gives it abundantly. I love that because you know what? Every single day it seems like I am faced with something. I go, I have no idea what to do with this. Sometimes it's something insignificant because I didn't read instructions on something I'm supposed to put together. Sometimes it's something huge with my family or with the church or with a believer who's trying to find Jesus. And I go, I have no idea what to do with this. And there's this voice of of the writer of James who says, if you lack wisdom, you should just ask. Your father gives it in abundance. If you don't know what to do, my friends, ask. But here's the thing. You will hear back, maybe through scripture. Maybe you'll hear back through the fellowship of other believers. We talked a little bit about that last week. You need to say, here's where I'm at, and have people who can wisely speak back to that. You might hear that through direct intervention from the Holy Spirit himself, who would say to you, here's what you should do. So, seek Wisdom in dealing with the pressures of the world. I want to invite our band to come back up. We're going to sing in closing. Again, I just want to say, don't be tempted to try and do this alone. Maybe you need somebody to exercise with you. Maybe you need somebody to remind you, just just go to bed. Maybe you need somebody to sit down and say, help me just undo the tangle of this so I can understand how to wisely move forward. But that's why God brought us together as the body of Christ. So I pray that you would have the courage to reach out to one of us and let us come alongside you. God bless you. Amen indeed.